A moment of business before we get into today's show. Surf Splendor is completely free, but you can support the show, and we need your support to help grow the show organically. Do so by sharing the show with a friend. Tell them verbally, send them a link to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or promote it via social media where you can find us, at Surf Splendor. Thanks in advance, and enjoy today's show. Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? Thanks for tuning back in. This is your host, David Scales. Um, today, we're bringing you an episode of Surf News with Scott Bass. And um, before I give that conversation to you, I just wanted to say thanks for all the kind comments that we've received regarding the interview with Sean Thompson. It was a really gratifying experience for me to even have that conversation with Sean Thompson, much less be able to bring it you know, to everybody else to listen to. And it's only been you know, um, reaffirmed by the comments that I've received from you, the listeners. So thank you for, for those. And if you haven't yet listened to that episode, you can find it on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com or, you know, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you download podcasts. Um, so check that out. And then also, Leave your comments about that show, um, and you can do that on our website, Surf Splendor Podcast. Each episode has a show page, so you can find that page and then just leave a comment in the comments section, maybe, you know, just about the show or personal experience that you've had with Sean. So um, we really enjoyed reading those and getting feedback. So at any rate, thanks again. Thanks for listening, and uh, here's today's show. Surf Talk Radio. I'll probably have some intro music for you too. Um, but uh, Scott Bass, David Lee Scales, I'm a little hot. I'm going to try to turn this down just a touch. And uh, it is November 1st, the day after Halloween. And um, David and I are here to bring you the latest in Surf Talk podcast. So let's kick it off. David, welcome back. Welcome to the show, I should say. You're my, you're out. How? We're co-hosts together is what I mean to say. It's kind of um, just fell into it, you know? I mean, it wasn't really planned. It was a one or two time thing, and now it seems to be going well. So I'm psyched about it. Yeah. I appreciate you letting me participate in your program. So how was Halloween, by the way? Um, Sorry. Uh, You know what? Halloween was classic because what I do is I take some candy and I put it in a bowl, of course, out front. And then when the doorbell rings, I run and hide. Oh, really? <laughs> but, and uh, after two kids, they snag the whole bowl. Yeah, the whole bowl is gone. Turn off the lights, done. And I can get wow. back to reading my book. Don't you have kids? I do, but they're of the age now where they're gone. They're like oh, okay. off to Halloween parties. So, um, Wow, dude. Ebenezer fact, Scrooge. Yeah, I guess. It's, yeah, I think you're right. I think my wife would agree with you. I'm a little Scroogey that way. But it's all good. I actually, last night, I actually enjoyed opening up the door and seeing the little kids. Yeah. And um, it was kind of fun. But in the past... There always seems to a really important sporting event like the World Series or Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football or Thursday Night Football. They take precedence over children's <laughs> happiness for sure. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was good. How about you? How was your? Yeah, mine was awesome. My friends build this unbelievable haunted house every year and then um, get a bunch of like teenage kids to work as monsters and scare the crap out of all the neighborhood kids. So it was fun. 
Sounds like fun. Monsters yeah. scaring the crap out of kids. Totally, totally. Good, good stuff. Well, we've had a busy week. Um, a lot of surf news coming out of the uh, various locales. And um, I don't know how, oh, did you, you wanted to start this off by sort of giving the listeners a little bit of insight about you and I. Yeah, you know, I feel like we're two guys hosting this radio show essentially about surf and we haven't ever really given our qualifications. Yeah. I don't know that we're even qualified really, but we might as well let people know. I, I think actually, how many of these shows have we've done together? Maybe five? Um, I'm not really sure. So but... let's say five, I, four or five, right? Sure. Uh, hour long shows. Sure. You and I have communicated maybe... That's it. Five hours and ten minutes. <laughs> I know. We don't know each other. <laughs> ten minutes additional to the to the five shows that are on record. So um, I, I need, I'd like to know more about you personally, and I'm sure that the guests would as well. What's your background? Well, um, I can give you some insight. Um, real quick, I moved to the Del Mar, Solano Beach, Cardiff area here in California in 1977. Okay. I started surfing in 1978. I surfed on the Torrey Pines High School surf team and the UCSD surf team. I worked at the Del Mar Lifeguard Department for about five years. I spent six months in Australia, worked in a little restaurant called Swells in Terrigal. That's cool. On the Central Coast. Are you reading my notes? No, I'm just... I met Steve Hawk surfing in Mexico, and he offered me a job at Surfer Magazine, where I worked uh, at an editorial capacity from 98... Slow it down. ...through 2008. Did you have writing background prior to that? Hold that thought. Um, I was um, actually in college getting my... uh, trying to attain my uh, writing and um, uh, English degrees from Cal State San Marcos, which I did do. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I had sort of an editorial um, slant. Got it. You know what I mean? Got it. And so, yeah, I met Steve Hawk there uh, in Mexico. And it's a funny story, actually. Um, I was surfing this one really kind of pristine, perfect wave that's kind of only breaks when it's really big. It's sort of a rare spot. And I was by myself, surfing by myself. And I look up on the cliff and there's like six guys looking down. And I'm like, oh, God, here it comes, you know. And these guys paddle out and they bring a photographer. And it ends up it's Evan Slater and Steve Hawk and some other guys. And um, it was all cool, you know. We caught some waves together and, and shared the lineup. And, and there, Rob Keith took some photos. And, and on the beach, I started rapping out. And I didn't even know Steve Hawk. And we just started talking. And one thing led to another. And, and he offered me a job. And, just uh, down on the beach offered you a job? Yeah, or? well, as an intern. He wow. offered me an internship. That's really cool. Yeah, it was cool. So, um, and and then um, I graduated from college and I stepped right into a position there at Surfer. Okay. And I worked there for 10 years. Um, I started the Consumer Surfboard Expo Sacred Craft in 2007. And I've been running that ever since. Um, I have written a children's book called Ver- Girl vs. Wave, so do yourself a favor if you have a child, Google that and see if you can't pick that up. Uh, I wrote and co-produced a documentary film about surfers during the Vietnam War called Between the Lines. Wow. I've traveled and surfed in Hawaii, Tahiti, Australia, Indonesia, Micronesia, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Mexico, Morocco, Portugal, Spain, and France. And I'm on the board of directors at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. I've been hosting Surf Talk Radio since 2005. And David, you can search iTunes podcast directory for down the line to listen to past shows. Wow. That's my little, uh, that's who, that's my spiel. Wow, I learned a lot about you right there. Yeah. I, honestly, I didn't know a lot of that. I didn't know about the book, the children's book, um, or the documentary. Where is that available, the documentary? Um, Betweenthelinesfilm.com. I, okay. bet, I bet, and you could probably... Um, 
you know, like just, it's on Amazon, it's on iTunes, you can get it anywhere. You could stream it? I believe so, yeah. I'm not okay. really in, involved with the, the money. Yeah, the, uh, I just sort of helped make it. Okay, you know? that's awesome, my, man. My partner in the pro production put up all the executive sure. producer money. So I, um, I feel like I knew your name, like prior to us meeting, and I certainly have listened to Down the Line a number of times. Um, when it was on terrestrial radio, I'm in Orange County. I don't know that it was broadcast in Orange County. It was San Diego only. Yeah. But um, I, I love podcasts, and I've listened to a lot of storytelling podcasts over the years since kind of podcasting was introduced. And um, certain radio shows that I like on NPR, you know, that I'd miss during the week, they would then broadcast. And so I'd listen there, and eventually I searched for surfing podcasts and came across Down the Line. And I think I had already heard of it as being a terrestrial radio show. So I, I've listened to it over the years, and that was kind of my proper introduction to you. Am I mistaken, though? Did you have um, video clips in that surf video, Voluptuous, from the late 90s? I don't think so. If I did, I don't know about it. Okay. I, I like, in the back of my mind, remember a guy, I thought it was Scott Bass, but it might have been somebody else. Um, I might have confused your name, you know, just because I yeah. it was in my kind of lexicon of names. Yeah, so. I don't think that was me, but who knows? One other thing, you mentioned NPR. Do you what do you do at seven thirty-seven in the morning? <clears throat> do you listen to NPR? Not usually, no. Oh, because I'm the surf reporter for KPBS here in San Diego. Oh, so really? Every morning you can hear my surf report on uh, NPR. I did not know that. What yeah. what um, 80, station? Eighty-nine point five, San Diego. Okay. KPBS up there they must have a different 899 uh, 899 KCRW oh, and yeah. then 893 KPCC. Yeah, okay, so, that's why. All right. Very cool. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you, David. Yeah. How old are you? Uh I am 32 and um I grew up surfing in Orange County. I don't have prepared notes on my background, but I'll I don't it. either. <laughs> <laughs> I was, have That was off the cuff, man. I'm going to draw from me from memory which um which I think is uh, mostly intact anyways. But um, I grew up surfing in Orange County and, um, and was really into it kind of as a teenager, but pursued education at a high school. Like some of my friends that I grew up surfing with went on to pursue professional careers and, and do, still do. But um, I don't know, I felt like there wasn't necessarily a way to really make money in surfing in the late 90s. I, maybe I'm wrong but I feel that it was that way. And so I just pursued education, went and got a college degree. And um, actually, going, through, yeah, yeah. Actually through college, got involved in working in restaurants and really got interested in wine. And so out of college, pursued a career in the wine industry. And so I did that for um, over maybe five to 10 years. So, Should I go deal with that dog? I don't know, can he be in here? Yeah, but I just don't want him to step on your computer. I'm not worried about that. Bring him in. Come on, dog. What's up, dog? What's his name? Duke. 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 All right, cool. So anyways, yeah. I, I worked in the so wine, wine industry. The wine business, actually, out of college. In college and out of college for a number of years. But um, really kind of burned the candle at both ends. Like, a lot of the late nights. I was still surfing, so a lot of early mornings, too. And just at some point realized, like... I'd rather be spending time at the beach than spending time kind of pushing a commodity, you know? Yeah. And um, that I still like have a, a lot of love for wine and still am involved in the industry actually. But um, 
kind of slowly started developing relationships in the surf industry or redeveloping relationships and I got into filming surfing at some point so I um I did that for a number of years and got some small contracts that allowed me to kind of move out of the surf industry and then worked myself actually with Surfer Magazine as well after your time there and have done some writing for them done a trip a couple trips um and then uh, kind of found myself in marketing capacity with writing skill and with um, film video production skill. That lends itself to marketing, like content creation yeah, and stuff. Yeah, sure. absolutely. So I've gotten a couple marketing gigs in the surfing industry, and so just kind of multitask, you know? Yeah, good. So yeah, that's how I found myself here. Let's see, wine. Now, the wine-surf connection is very deep. Yeah. Um, I know... For instance, I know Rusty Preisendorfer loves wine. He's yeah. a big wine guy. He could probably trade some wine for some surfboards, perhaps. Yes. Um, there was a guy, my old co-host, Jeff Baldwin, used to sell wine for a guy named Bo Rydell, who made those Evolution surfboards. Yeah. Well, you do, you know, have any, do you have any insight with Bo? I don't, but you know what's funny <laughs> is I feel like both industries are similar in that surfing, the surf industry is run by people who really just want to surf. And so they fall back into positions. Maybe they weren't a pro surfer, so they fall back into a position doing something. The wine industry, it's people who just want to get drunk. <laughs> who, you know, it's Fair like, enough. God, I got to figure out a way to make a living doing this. And so they end up making wine or selling wine or whatever. Um, oh so both industries could probably run more successfully and efficiently if they were run by people who didn't have an interest in that, you know, in yeah. surfing or wine. Yeah. But um, nevertheless... Good cool. industries, yeah. Cool. So, well, um, I've got one or two emails I thought I'd read real quick from the last show. I, I love it. Yeah. Over here, let's see. Uh, regarding the best song ever, um, though I miss your natural rapport with Baldy. That's um, my old co-host. I love your show and look forward to the new ones as they come out. The best song ever has to be "Simple Man" by Leonard Skinner. God bless Earl Holt. Still in the same vein as our selections, though. Earl, coming through with Simple Man. That's I like a, it. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. What about you? Um, yeah, I got some nice feedback and emails and stuff. Um, but I'm not going to read any of them. I had yeah, some... Yeah, sorry. They're sometimes boring to read emails. Not at all. I love hearing, you know, positive feedback about myself. So bring them anytime, man. Uh, Why, you got another one? Oh, yeah, I got Let's another Let's hear it. From uh, Clem Smith. He says, yo, keep it up. So pumped on the hour-long podcast. I've doing tons of driving now. I'm a sales rep in the ski industry and you guys are keeping me stoked. One topic I think needs discussing is the lack of love for Nat Young. Why is that? Especially from the Aussie commentators. Also, uh, I love the Foo Fighters, a documentary that's my best song ever or best band ever. Anyway, you guys are great. Love the candor. All the best, Clem Smith. So Clem, I've actually met Clem before. Oh, um, really? Forget where, maybe down at the SEMA Summit, or maybe one of the, the boardroom sacred craft shows or something, but um, cool guy and uh, in the ski industry. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe there's a lack of love for Nat Young. I never really thought about that, but I certainly don't think there's any disliking yeah. of Nat Young. Yeah. You know, maybe they're not pouring out love, but I don't feel like anybody's ever bashed him either. I feel like people in general have spoken very fondly of him. So, no, thanks. Um... I had a couple of thoughts on the last show, though. Like, yeah. 
you know, sometimes we'll say stuff off the cuff and then I'll go back and research it and realize I was wrong. So I need to clarify. I misspoke about Matt Wilkinson not requalifying. I said that he probably wouldn't requalify. I had previously looked at the World Tour ratings and he's not in, in a standing to qualify except for he's made some heats on the, one, on the QS events, which makes his one world ranking... Um, I think he's on 25th on the one world ranking. So that is a qualifying position. So it looks like Wilco probably will qualify, depending on what happens in Hawaii. Um, the other thing is you and I were debating about Mick and Kelly in the world title race. I was putting my money on Mick. You were putting your money on Kelly. Everybody always says, you know, Kelly is the guy to beat at pipe. And especially when the pressure is on, he will deliver. No, the pressure is off. That's what I said. Right. So... I think one thing neither of us noted at that point was Kelly hasn't won pipe since 2008. When was the last time Mick Fanning won pipe? Well, he hasn't, but he has done really well at Cloud Break and in Tahiti. So is Kelly. Right. But Mick doesn't have to win pipe in right. order to win the title. Right. Kelly does. Yeah. So like, How many pipe titles does Kelly have? I thought I said something like six. I don't know. But yeah, he's That's pretty, I mean, he pretty much dominates pipe from a competitive standpoint. He like, has dominated pipe in the past. He hasn't dominated pipe so since 2008. Since 2008, that's four years. So that's pretty good. I mean, he's made the finals probably. And I mean, he's, he that's, hasn't won it, but I mean, that's, all that tells me is that it's time is now, you know, it's been four years. If you look at his history, he probably wins one every four years. Totally. You've got an argument and I'm a big Kelly fan and I, I would like to see him win. I'm just saying let's not overlook what's really happening is that there's stronger contenders now than there's ever been yeah. and a wider variety of them. Yeah. And I think really that's why Kelly hasn't won pipe in the last four years. It's not because, you know, he's on a four year cycle. I think it's just that there's more contenders now. Hmm. So only well, time will tell. Yeah. We'll check it out. I know we're all looking forward to the matchup. I mean, this is why when we talked about, you know, I've, I've been yearning for Pipeline having a weighted system because it's so much fun when we're all looking at Pipeline to determine the world champion. Yeah. And just think how, I don't know, lackluster, I guess you could say, the Pipeline Masters would be without us all gearing. I mean, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be It's going to be exciting. I'm more excited for this Pipe event than I have been in, in a long time. I think we all are, and, and there's a reason for it. And, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and segue into something that's not even in my notes, but, okay. but something that I found interesting. I hope you got a chance to see it. They put it up on uh, Grind TV yesterday, and it was a John John Florence interview. I think he did with Surfing Magazine, or no, he did it with Chris Cote. Okay. And they basically asked John John Florence what's the one thing he would change about the ASP World Tour if he could make a change. And he said, you know what, I'd like there to be an on-season and an off-season which I thought was really, really interesting and sort of is a, good, is a segue from what we were talking about. So what he's saying is, look, I want six months on and I want six months off, just like hmm. all other sports. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I found it very interesting because immediately, I know you're doing this right now, you're going, what would the schedule be like? Where would we do it? How, you know, would it end at Pipeline? Would we start it in June? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could make a case for starting an event in June and doing, um, you know, obviously Australia sort of, I don't know when you would do Australia, but you could certainly start it in June and hit the South Pacific, right? So you do Tavarua and Chopu. And you could do the rest of the tour all yeah. the way through. Somewhere in there, you got to throw in um, a trip to Australia. 
Yeah. You have to. Now, um, you know, I'm sure they could figure it out, but but it certainly is an interesting concept, an off-season, so that the guys like John John Florence could test out new boards, try new equipment, have some time to do a bunch of video trips. Um, you know, that whole concept of having them having six months to kind of be fresh. And his whole thing was, look, I want to have competition mentality for six months and six months straight. That's all I'm going to do is focus on. But to have it for one month and then have two months off and then have it have to get back into that mode again and then have two months off or, you know, whatever the time lapse is, I just found it um, sort of interesting. I don't know what your thoughts are on John John Florence's thoughts. I, you know, I like that idea a lot. I've never heard it before, and I never thought of it, obviously, but um, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. It seems like a more efficient way to do things, and professional surfers have a lot of obligations outside of contests, and so it makes sense to kind of divide those. Um, another thing that I just was thinking of, you talked about you've talked about a lot actually is having kind of a more elite version of the world tour where we don't care about numbers 15 through 32 so much. What might be cool to incorporate in that type of a format is six months on for the top 32. But what if there was a three month tour that was just the top 10? Like if you qualified for the top 10, that additional three months is just like a super elite world tour in waves like G-Land maybe, where it's like that doesn't draw a huge crowd, and that's why it's not on the map on the schedule now. But I'd like to see Kelly Slater versus Parco out there, you know, or whomever. Um, so that could be a way to incorporate both those ideas. Yeah. Well, so. it's interesting. And you know what? I know that David and I would love to hear your comments on, uh, on either a weighted pipeline event you know, where you have to determine the world champion at Pipeline, or John John Florence's concept of an on-season and an off-season, or David's concept of this super tour, three-month, ten-man super tour. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that can be done out there, and with the new ASP, we're certainly hoping that um, they're chewing on these ideas at the very least, you know, brainstorming and, and not sort of going with the same old, same old. Yeah. Uh, must see moment of the week. Must see moment of the week. Dun 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 dun. Must. That's our. That's our. That's our <laughs> Give sound me the drop. Cue the intro music. I actually have in here. I have all these little great little sound drop waves, wave files. But we're gonna have to dig them up, man. Anyway, um, my must see moment of the week. Vice.com. Are you familiar with Vice? I am. So Vice, um, they're kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of media outlet. Uh, it's a dot com, but they have a TV show on HBO. Yeah. They just ran their first season. They do a web series called High Shreddability, which is focused on surfing. And uh, they just dropped an episode with Clark Little. And that's my must-see moment of the week. Oh. Clark Little's episode of High Shreddability on Vice.com. I'll post a link to it or I'll embed it on uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com. But it's basically, I think it's about 10 minute long, just profile piece on Clark Little shooting shore break on the North Shore. Clark, cool. Clark Little, of course, a photographer who's really built his reputation just shooting shore break waves. And I remember him from the 90s as a surfer of Waimea uh, Bay shore break, which was something we really hadn't seen before. It was a bodyboard spot only, essentially. And he went out there and just charged shore break on a surfboard. Never really made any waves, but just got crazy photo opportunities of huge wipeouts or standing in huge caverns. And um, puts himself in really hairy situations. And 
his imagery that he produces is breathtaking. It's usually like in the barrel looking out or even looking into the barrel, maybe with like gorgeous backdrops of the land. But um, when you see this video piece that Vice produced and see the wave that he's standing in, it's crazy scary. You know, like he just gets smashed. Cool. So it's awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing that. Yeah, so we really can go cool. to surfsplendorpodcast.com and you'll have a link to that. I'll embed it probably, Good. yeah. So um, worth watching. All right, well, let's see. My must-see moment for the week. I actually have... Is it cheating to have more than one? Because I know we're supposed to only have one. Give me give me your top one and then the second. <laughs> <laughs> well, my top one is um, John Stewart's The Daily Show. Uh, they did a little piece on sexy Halloween costumes. Oh, I like it. Which was really funny. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, comedic slant on the concept of sexy Halloween costumes. I'll leave it at that, and I will post a link to that on downthelineradio.com. Give us a teaser, dude. Well, um, let's just say that um, I don't want to ruin it. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna choke. But, but all right. But just you'll see. That, you know, it's, it's John Stewart and his take on sexy costumes. I think you know that's enough. Answer like, I'd this. I hate to ruin it. Okay. There's no way I can do what he did. You know. Just answer me this. Yes. Does John Stewart wear a sexy Halloween costume? No, he has. Okay, good. One of his uh, sort of roving reporters on progressive feminism doing the report. You know, and so got it. I'll leave it at that. Solid. Solid. As long as John's not showing too much skin, I'll watch it. No, he, he's not. There's no skin. <laughs> Good enough. Although there is a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How's that for Let's pause the show and watch it right now. <laughs> All right. So um, let's lead into surf news. Well, wait, huh? I wanted to say one other thing yeah. real quick. The other must oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. Um, I would urge everyone to just do a YouTube search for uh, CPR. And um, if you don't know how to do CPR, there's probably... A bunch of great, you know, how-to YouTube clips um, on how to do it by lifeguards or life-saving professionals. And I would just urge everyone, if you get a chance, learn how to do CPR. Yeah, you got the lifeguard background, as we learned today, right? That's right. So, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I saw something about the Maya thing, which I know we're going to get into, and I thought it would be a good time to, to do that. Um, should I lead into that topic? Are we ready? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. go for it. So... Uh, this is. I've kinda, got it broken down into to a few different aspects of that. We have to break it down into aspects. It's really important, I think, to separate. Let so me lead many... in Maya, and I'll let yeah. you lead in Carlos. How's that? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, Laird Hamilton was on CNN discussing the whole Nazir Portugal big wave event, which happened last week, and uh, one of the. Um, uh, unfortunate situations was Maya Gabiera, a big wave professional surfer. She almost died out there. She had a big wipeout. She went unconscious, a very scary situ situation. And I know that um, both you and I wish her a speedy recovery. Laird Hamilton on CNN went on to say that Maya had no place being out there, that, that the dangerous realm isn't for her, that she was unprepared, and that Carlos Brule another big wave surfer should bear the responsibility for Maya almost dying. So, David, my question to you, is Maya out of bounds surfing in waves of this magnitude? Um, yeah. I, I've seen... My only experience with Maya was probably two or three years ago. 
I think she was hanging out with like Timmy Reyes in Huntington Beach for a week or two. And so I saw her surfing a number of times within that period. And um, I remember commenting at the time to my friends, like, that girl can barely surf. I know of her. And I know, dude, I'm telling you straight out. I know. We're going to get the feedback on that one. Um, but seriously, this was prior to her wipeout, obviously, and prior to her big... Um, wipe out in Tahiti as well, which yeah. we'll talk about. It was just like, I've heard of her name and I've seen some images so of her. You weren't impressed with her Huntington Beach skills. Dude, I mean, and I'm not saying wasn't impressive compared to other female pro surfers. I'm saying she she could stand up and kind of wiggle down the line, but it, I walked away going, wow, I'm surprised that, that, that she's a professional surfer. Fair enough. No, like, uh, you know, I wasn't mad at her or anything, but I just made a note of that. Then... She had a big wipeout a year or two ago in Tahiti. And a lot of people, there was controversy, similar to this controversy at that time, of people saying she never should have been surfing those waves. And I heard, or I read somewhere that Kelly Slater was out and he actually sent her an email following the wipeout and said, hey, Maya, um, you're putting other people's lives at danger, the other surfers in the lineup, but also the rescue teams who need to go rescue you. You should really consider, you know, developing more skill before you come back out into death-defying waves like that. Um, I don't know that you can really tell somebody what their limits are and tell them not to do something. Except for the fact that we're a community of surfers and nobody wants to see anybody die, you know. And if I, um, I don't know, if I was driving on the freeway and I saw somebody trying to play frogger on the freeway you know and running across it's like i would probably pull over and be like hey man you shouldn't be doing this this is super dangerous and even if so, it was a girl that doesn't matter to me <laughs> you know i know that the the people in the online community are commenting about it's because it's sexist and it's because she's a female it has nothing to do with that it has to do with look at her surfing the waves and she looks unstable and she looks like she's out of place okay here's my thoughts on that um uh, there's a fine line between badass and dumbass. And um, I think that um, generally humiliation will breed a lot of humility. And it's my feeling that Maya Gabiera, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name right, but Maya can do whatever she wants to do. I'm not going to sit here and say she can't do it. And if she wants to play Frogger on the freeway, it's none of my business either. Go kill yourself. I've got bigger fish to fry, and I'm not going to sit here on my presumed high horse and say you can't go surfing. If you want to go surfing, go surfing. You might die, but that's your choice. You seem to be, um, you know, um, of coherent mind and sound, sound intelligence to make that determination on your own. So go for it. Go out there and have fun. If this is what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. Now, if you do die... Don't put it on anyone else. Right. That's your trip, you know? What, and ab what about the point, though, that it's risking other people's lives, i.e. the rescue who? teams? The rescue team doesn't have to be out there. No one's telling them to be out there. Yeah. They don't have to go rescue her. I think they're out there under the assumption that anybody who's out there surfing those waves is going to be fully prepared and capable to surf these waves. We're going to rescue them in a worst-case scenario. She's been in that scenario two times in two years. I think years. that's between her and the rescue teams. Yeah. Look, maybe she is putting the rescue teams at, in harm's way. But that's still like 
like I said, the rescue teams should probably check on every surfer before they go out and go, hey, if you want me to rescue you, you know, it's $500 an hour and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You and, know? and just to clarify, her the her rescue team is Carlos Berlay, who um, they're partners, they're tow partners, and they've trained together for years. And so I think that they're probably prepared enough for situations like that, as prepared as you could be. The question isn't whether or not they're prepared. The question is whether or not she's a competent enough surfer to ride those waves in the first place. Well, apparently this time she wasn't, you yeah. know, and, and, but I'm not, again, I, I am, I'm not going to tell anyone they can't go surfing. Yeah, that's a good point. Go surfing. I, I agree in a sense. Let me break down the exact situation because I think there's more topics that need to be discussed on I've this. I've got some others too, but go ahead. Okay. Well, let me backtrack just to, um, did you, is the spot pronounced Nazaire? I have no idea. Or Nazare or something. Who knows? Yeah. I call it Nazir. Okay. Nazir. So the spot for those, I'm sure people have seen it, but for those who haven't, it's a big wave spot in Portugal that breaks right up against a cliff with a really kind of... Um, it's got like a Black's Canyon offshore, I think. So it focuses swell yeah. from deep water and brings it all up right there. Right. And it breaks right in front of this cliff. And the only way to really shoot, shoot it uh, from a photographer's standpoint is from a high vantage point. So all the images of it are looking down and there's along the cliff, there's a big stone structure like a lookout tower. So it creates this really dramatic like foreground with these giant waves breaking in the background. And often like the mist rolling off the back of the waves prevents you from seeing the bottom of the wave that's being ridden. So it's really difficult to there judge. There is no bottom. There's no bottom. There's no bottom. It's like a long slope kind of. Um, it looks like an avalanche is following them as they go snowboarding. Yeah. It it creates this really interesting image, but it's hard to tell how big the wave actually is. Did you read the is. piece on Surfing Magazine about this? I'm not sure. It's really good. I want you to read it, but it basically says what you just said, that there's no bottom to this wave. It's impossible to truly measure this wave because to measure a wave, you need a crest and you need a trough. Right. And what we have here is just this like angled nonstop downhill ride. It would be a longboard wave if it wasn't so big. Like if it was three yeah. foot, it's a longboard. It barely breaks. Barely breaks. Most of them don't break. They're just yeah. swells that roll. Yeah. And they're surfable yeah. because they're swells. But the, I don't think that if we're going to that place in the discussion where we're talking about the largest wave ever ridden, I'm saying it, that you can't even measure it, that it's yeah. not the largest wave ever ridden. Um, and I apologize if I'm jumping ahead here, but but since we're talking about wave size, uh an opinion, an op-ed piece on Surfing Magazine yesterday broke down how difficult it is to judge the wave height by what you mentioned from the vantage point of the photography and the fact that, that there is no trough to this wave. It's the world's largest mush burger. Now, it's super, super dangerous, obviously. No it's super question. deadly. It doesn't look like fun. It looks like something these guys are doing to make money. Mm. I don't think they'd be out there if there wasn't dollars involved. I'm not saying that's not okay. But my gut feeling is there's a reason no one surfed it before the double XL. Yeah. And, um, and, and again, I do not think that it's the world's largest wave ever ridden as far as like Guinness Book of World Records. If we're going to go down that road, Laird, did you see the CNN piece with Laird? I did. Yeah. So Laird basically said, look, it was the world's biggest wipeout. It wasn't the world's biggest well, wave. Well, let's back up. CNN contacted Laird and said, will you comment on this, um, on what just happened, Maya essentially almost dying, and then Carlos, after the fact, getting what could be the world's biggest wave. 
So he was being asked for his opinion. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And he gave his opinion, yeah. which was... Which was the world's biggest wipeout, that he didn't so, make the wave, so it's not considered a completed ride. To directly quote Laird, he says... Um, oh, actually, the quote that I have is in reference to Maya. But, yeah, you're right. He said that, number one, about Carlos's ride, number one, Carlos... Um, you have to finish a wave in order for it to count as being like the world's biggest wave ever ridden. And Carlos gets run down by the whitewash, essentially. He surfs down the slope of the wave, and then eventually the whitewash just mows him down because he's not going fast enough, and he falls. So Laird's like, it was, it, was it the world's biggest wave ever ridden? No, it was the world's biggest wipeout on, a big, on the biggest wave ever ridden, you know? Which I think is very funny, but I don't think he was trying to be mean about it or be a dick. He was just telling the truth, you know? And I agree with Laird. I think that in order for, almost like we don't have a word that really encapsulates the, the biggest wave ever completed, I guess. Because yes, it was written, technically, by the definition of the word written, but it wasn't finished. Finished isn't a good enough word. We need like a new English word, you know, that... That is whatever the word the well, I think to, completed ride. I think yeah, completed. I think to to complete a ride, you want to be able to finish it in a safe. Um, this is basically what Laird was saying. Like finish the ride, like kick out somewhere and get, come get picked up or paddle into the channel. But if you're put in a situation where you've wiped out, well, then you have not completed the ride. Um, you know what? It makes for great debate, great internet fodder. I certainly don't want to take away anything from what Carlos did that day. It's, you know, I'm certainly would never be caught out there. That's not my realm at this point in my life. When you read Stab posted a story with uh, an interview with Carlos the day that it happened after he had visited Maya in the hospital and um and it it really read like a heroic story. Of course it's him telling his own story, but still it was it seemed heroic. I would like to break down that story a little bit because it's really worth... Um, Before you do that, let me just say one yeah. quick thing. I have met Carlos Berlet. He's one of the nicest people in the world. Super cool guy. Yeah. Very humble. Um, just a great guy. Kind of guy that you would only wish the, you know, the world's you know, finest blessings upon. So yeah. let it be known that he's a great human being. He seems that way. Yeah. He comes across as he humble is. in, in his is. interviews. So... Just to explain exactly what happened on the wave with Maya, um, they're towing into the waves. Maya literally caught one wave that day, and Carlos caught one wave that day. That's it. There was probably other people that caught waves, but those are the two that we're talking about. Um, on Maya's wave, she gets towed into a giant left. She hits a big chop at the beginning and survives it, and then another one and survives that. And I thought that was actually pretty impressive. She surfs kind of down that slope of the wave and the whitewash is kind of chasing her down. And somewhere towards the end of the ride, she hits a third chop. And that chop, the the pressure of her board hitting it breaks her ankle. You're kidding. I didn't no. know that. Yeah. Wow. So it's an ankle breaker while she's standing on her board, just boom. Oh, she probably went into shock. Breaks her ankle. She obviously falls off the board, goes underneath, and is now flailing for... Um, survival essentially carlos is off in the channel on the ski and he sees her go down in his interview he says that he loses sight of her for five minutes oh my god and the video shows a lot of this it's it's edited down just to kind of the highlights or the yeah. lowlights but basically she's flailing in this whitewashy soup 
and you know when it's that <laughs> you know when it's that whitewashy how like the top layers just foam a lot of air in it and it's difficult to oh, hold yeah. Oh, yeah. to stay up and to breathe and uh and she's getting washed towards the shore break those waves break really heavy on shore at the yeah. spot towards the shore break and towards the rocky cliff so the it's just getting more and more dramatic each passing moment eventually carlos said he couldn't see her for five minutes she's in dire straits and can only use one leg to kick to stay afloat so she's getting pushed down by multiple waves pushed towards the rocks pushed towards the shore break has use of one leg only she said that she didn't even know her leg was broken till later so maybe she was trying to use it but you know who knows so carlos eventually sees her he goes to make a grab on the ski she's delirious he bumps her with the ski runs over her essentially it was <laughs> oh it, it was just Are there any sharks at this point dude it, i know it couldn't be worse right Gnarly. so this is on video again yeah well i'll post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com if you haven't seen it already i'll embed it um but basically he just kind of bumps her it wasn't that bad but obviously not an ideal scenario when you're rescuing somebody to run them over with the ski so they miss that grab. Obviously on a ski, you can't just put it in reverse and go get her. He has to do another lap and a wave comes. So he bails, goes around the wave. She gets pushed down again, comes for a second lap. They miss the grab again. He goes again, goes for the third wrap or the, the third grab, misses her again, or she misses him. Because again, if she was of sound mind, she probably could swim up and grab, yeah. but she's out of gas. She's probably delirious. Yeah. So... On the third lap, she misses the grab, but grabs the rope. And she's 10 feet behind. He sees that she catches the rope, guns it towards shore, which, just the sheer physics of it, drag her underwater. So she's holding the rope, being dragged underwater. <laughs> that is so and you can, you can see it happening. And it's like, oh my there's nothing, nothing he could do at this point, nothing she could do to get her above water. She's holding on for dear life, being dragged underwater. Oh my and God. eventually lets go. And he sees her let go. A wave comes over her. Now she comes up lifeless. So when I say comes up, I mean face down. Floating. Floating. Face down. Lifeless. He comes back for the fourth lap, ditches the ski, jumps onto her, and... Um, flips her over kind of like light he said he learned it from lifeguards in hawaii teach you to flip them over so that their face is at least facing up and then start dragging her towards shore thankfully at this point they were close enough to shore where he puts his feet up and he's standing dragging but another wave comes crashes over him maya said it's the biggest or i think he said as well it's the biggest shore break you'll ever see thankfully it wasn't like barreling shore break where they were at it was just giant uh, mountains of whitewash but they eventually get pushed towards shore. She's still unconscious, probably going on a minute or two at this point. They, the rescue team's on the beach, the lifeguards. Um, so he pulls her out of the water by himself. Once they're on the beach, they administer CPR. She throws up a lot of water, becomes conscious again. They eventually get her off to the hospital as soon as possible. She makes a full recovery. So she, I think she spent 24 hours in the hospital, makes the full recovery. I mean, Carlos exhibited hero characteristic in that you know it's kind of like there's a lot of criticism about the way that the rescue went down yeah and, specifically the rope grab and the pull but to me it looked like 
That was as, the only option. As prepared as they were, which I'm sure is as prepared as you could have been, they they really did all that you could do in a life-threatening situation. Maya said that she wishes there was a second ski that could have then come in and rescued both of them. You know, I don't know how reasonable of an option that is. Um, but those are things to Crazy. consider. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that was a great recounting of the video. And we'll definitely go to... Um your website, Surf Splendor. But I'm going to put it on my website. You got well. it. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> incredible. Download Surf Splendor podcast. It's incredible footage to watch. And honestly, after watching it the first time, scary, yeah. I didn't want to put, I didn't want to watch it a second time. Yeah. It was like yeah. super scary. Well, just listening to you just now, you did a great rendition of the video. I'm sort of awestruck. Cool. But um, I guess one more thing on Nazir. Um, where was GMAC? I don't know. I mean, it was this was his day. Like he could have went out there and beat his own record, and I know he was out doing it. But there's no imagery. There's no. I, I just don't think that this is a very fun wave to surf. I think that, I think the whole Nazir thing, is kind of like why. And if the answer is to win the double XL, then I would say not a really good reason. <laughs> I agree. And Laird in his interview with CNN said he got invited to go surf that spot, knowing the swell was coming, and he opted out of it. And I think it might be kind of what you're saying is that the the key guys know it's not a real contender for the tr most, I don't know, the most treacherous wave on earth. Maybe it looks like the biggest, but, you know, it's not Mavericks in no. terms of like top to bottom. There is no square, top to bottom. Yeah. Squares. That's the problem with a lot of those European big wave spots like the Belhara, is it, I think, in France. They're so slopey, ro you know, they're just kind of roly-poly slopey. It's just... When you compare it to what they're doing at Jaws and even Chopu, of course, and as you mentioned, Mavericks or, or Cortez Bank, they just don't look like waves. Yeah. They're just slopey rollers that are huge. Which is, like, honestly, if you like surfing that type of wave, fantastic. Yeah, Do it. Power but to you. Is it a contender for kind of the, the biggest wave or the XXL award? I'm not sure it is. Now, speaking of European big waves, have you seen the Ireland footage? Yeah. That's pretty radical. Yeah, totally. That looks like a legit wave. That, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Mulgaharm. I'm not even going to try. Mulgaharm. Who knows? Well, before we get off this topic, yeah. I do want to say um, Maya's courage has never been in question. Like, she charges. Oh, yeah. Whether or not she's, um, you know, a competent free surfer or shredder or whatever isn't really the point. As She's a great big wave surfer or she's a, a courageous big wave surfer i should say so i don't mean to throw her under the bus and nah, like, you know what more power to her if she yeah. wants to go do it go do it and i'm you know sure I mean? but when you die don't come you know don't complain to totally. us but i'm i'm sure garrett mcnamara wouldn't be shredding huntington beach either you know what i mean oh, yeah, like, yeah. No, no. so i don't mean to bag on her for that no. i just that was my personal experience having seen her and i did meet her once with um i was with greg long's dad steve long at trestles and i'm and ran into her and met her just in passing. Was she surfing? or No, she was walking along the beach with okay. a board coming from a surf. But she seemed like a very nice person. Yeah, well. and she's gorgeous. Yeah. All right, well, um, I got one for you. Let's hear it. Should we do that whole um, piece we just did in Portuguese for our Portuguese listeners? <laughs> Let's recap it. Do you mean Brazilian? Yeah. <laughs> I don't speak Brazilian. Uh, pipeline season opener. 
Uh, let's see, Jamie O'Brien, John John Florence got some great waves. Uh, everyone got great waves. A gorgeous and perfect day in early October at Pipeline, which means the sand is already gone. Pipe is breaking. Uh, uh, Jamie O'Brien said it was the best October pipeline he's ever seen, which I don't even know. You know, usually pipe doesn't even break in October. It takes a month to get the sand out of there. But um, my question to you is, uh, where was Ricardo Dos Santos? I know, man. This reminded me of our last conversation. We're we on had. Ricardo Watch. We are on Ricardo Watch, checking in day 13. So, <laughs> no, but honestly, I, this reminded me of the last conversation we had in the last show about um, Jamie O'Brien not being able to surf in the Pipe Masters and their whole situation. And I basically said, I don't care if Jamie surfs in the Pipe Masters. He has, he's underperformed in recent years. Who gives a crap? And then I read some comments on Facebook or whatever on the show where people were saying they want to see him. I, here, here's my thoughts before the season opener swell that just hit, was that I stand by my comments, and if him not surfing there means we get to see somebody else take his place, like Ricardo Dos Santos, or... or <laughs> it wouldn't be him. He's... But no, it wouldn't be, but Carlos Munoz last year got two... Who? Dude. Remember, remember, about remember his name. He got two tens last year in the Volcom Pipe Pro yeah. at Backdoor. Yeah. He's a Costa Rican kid. He's going to yeah. qualify for the world tour, no yeah. doubt. He's actually on the bubble right now. But it's like I'd rather see these up-and-comers surf out there than Jamie if he's going to be disrespectful of the sport. That was my thought last week. After seeing him surf in the, in the season opener this last swell... I almost want to recant my statement. No and, recanting, Dave. Dude. No recanting. Based on new information, I'm allowed to recant. Yeah, but he did what he did. But he, well, he's of been course. doing that for years. Like, that's not, that doesn't, that's not new info for you. You know that the guy based on is what, one of the top two or three guys at Pipe. Who's underperformed in the last few years. Yeah. But, I'm but just, he's won it, and he's won the Volcom event a couple me, times. And Well, I'm now siding with you in that I feel like seeing his performance the last Wait, couple of days. what's that sound? That's the sound of you backpedaling. <laughs> I'm openly admitting, dude. You, I agree with you. I'm not trying to deny it. Uh, so, But I do. Seeing his performance out there, it is breathtaking. His, the last couple of days, you're seeing the clips and the, um, the imagery that came out of it. It's like, holy crap, Jamie at Pipe is a thing of beauty, and I would like to see do that. Do you think that Ricardo Dos Santos is even on the North Shore? No. Well, not, not this early, I don't no. think. Hmm. Um, but... Also, looking at the images that come, came out of this swell, nobody's more gorgeous than jo John John Florence. Yeah. Do you see that? There was one image of this like backside butt drag on Stab. I think um, Zach Noyle shot the photo. It's a water shot of him, John John, getting barreled at pipe. And his positioning is unlike anything I've ever seen. He's got all of his weight on the left rail, but honestly, the last two inches of the left rail. His butt's in the water. One leg looks like it's broken, leaning. He's doing the butt drag. His arm's in the wave. He's passing a photographer, and it's just, like, so acrobatic. And you couldn't sit in that position on the ground against a wall if you tried, but somehow, with the momentum of the wave or the inertia of it, he's able to hold that positioning. It's it's un unbelievable and beautiful to see. Well, um, you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned acrobatic, and you mentioned... Um Hawaiian surfer, more or less, right, with John John. And um, and it makes me think of buttons. And when I think of buttons, you know, everyone knows, well, not everyone, but in case you didn't know, um, buttons, Kaluio Kalani is 
is going through this massive um, health problem. He's got stage four cancer. He's he's in a very bad way, and he's here in the states getting uh, getting some therapy. And and you know, I think John John surfing. I think Jamie O'Brien surfing. This this really acrobatic, um, you know, push pushing the limits. Uh, Hawaiian surfers uh, makes me think of the 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 really first kind of free-loving acrobatic Hawaiian surfer, and that was Buttons in my eyes. So um, for whatever reason, I just went there when you, you yeah. threw out some key words there talking about John John. And, um, you know, I know that David and I just wish the best for Buttons, and we hope that he can get over this really uh, sad cancer uh, diagnosis. That I think has. some other key words that are, are synonymous with John John and Buttons, as you're saying, are like um, kind of carefree, like being in death-defying waves, but being really carefree about it. There's like an ease of their surfing. Yeah, playful. Playful and a lack of aggression. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where like some Hawaiian surfers are known for aggression. They will yeah. remain nameless. Yeah. But Buttons was never that way, and John John isn't that way. It just looks carefree and effortless and it's more poetic yes, as well. It's more of a dance. It's truly Hawaiian. Yeah, it's um it is captivating or it's just like, um, I don't know, you watch it and you're just kind of in awe of it, you know? Yeah. It's nice. It's really, yeah. All right, well, look, Tom Carroll comes clean. Tom Carroll and his brother Nick were on the Australian version of the 60 Minutes News magazine. And uh, during the show, Tom admits what many of us have known for a while, that he uh, has an addictive personality and it manifests itself with a crystal meth addiction. And he's been clean for six years now. Um, Tom Carroll, your thoughts on Tom Carroll? So there's a lot of my thoughts in relation to this story are um, about a bigger issue, which is just the surf media. Like you said, this is a thought that's been on our mind. Some people have known it's not really a secret. Well, it's never been covered in surf media. Why does CNN, or not CNN, um, 60 Minutes, have to be the news source that breaks this story, you know? Well, I, here's, what I, here's my thoughts on it, if I might interrupt. Yeah, go. I, I suggest to you, why now? Like, why are they telling us 60 Minutes? Because he's writing a book. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You nailed it. So it's just really, it's just a PR campaign for us to sell the book. Right. Which is great, but it's, it, it kind of comes off a little like, like, like they're using this opportunity, this, this really you know, sad and, and catastrophic time in his life to now kind of like, you know, push the sale of the book, which right. is fine. That's understandable. That's what you do. You know, you're, you're, you want to sell a book, you kind of find the gnarliest part of the book and you kind of tell people about or it. You hire a PR team who then does that, you know, I'm, I'm, I would be surprised if he's out there like selling his story as much as it is some, you know, yeah, I, I, you know what? Here's the thing: is, is that it's a feel-good story. Everyone loves Tom Carroll. He's a great guy. Um, they're just trying to sell books, and you know what? Regardless, um, this is something that every young kid, every young surfer should know about. This story, they should hear this story. So I'm all, I'm in favor of it. That you know, again, it just kind of. When you saw the lead into it, you're like, oh my God, this just happened. You right. know what I mean? But it, no, this is hap this happened like eight years ago or whatever, six years ago. So, um, but you know what? We need feel good stories. And um, 
And Tom Carroll's a great, a great human being, and his brother Nick is a great guy as well. And I look forward to reading the book. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I sort of know the story. It sounds like you know, pro surfer does good, pro surfer does bad, pro surfer gets out of it. You know, okay, well, I'm obviously I'm glad that he's in recovery. You know, and want nothing but the best for him. I'm just I'm questioning like all of the news, let's call them surf news outlets that have reported it don't report anything other than he he gave this interview to 60 minutes. You know what I mean? There's no insight into it. There's no commentary like or it is just a commentary on him giving this interview. I it made me realize it's not really surfermag.com or surfing magazine or stab or the inertia even. It's not their responsibility. None of them purport themselves as a news outlet. They're editorial outlets who then by default have delivered the news to us because there's nobody else to do it. Why don't why doesn't surfing have a news outlet? Well, the reason is is that you mentioned it. They're not a news outlet. What they are is they're marketing vehicles for their clients, and their clients right. are the people that buy advertising space. So I initially get mad at them, like, "Hey, why aren't you giving us an unbiased news story?" But then I realize what you what we just said, which is that's not their job. But my question is, why don't we have a news outlet in surfing? You know what I mean? Like, well, the, the inertia tries to be that way. The problem with it is that there's no nobody's going to support it. Like the industry, you know, the clothing companies. They only want you to tell their version of what of surf lifestyle culture should be. So, you know, does Quicksilver really want you telling a story about, hey, we just found out Tom Carroll's a drug addict? You know, like, let's just say six years ago or whatever. No, yeah. they're going to squash it. And if you do put it out there on the Internet, on Surfer Magazine or Surfing Magazine, Quicksilver is going to call you up and go, you know what, we're pulling our advertising <laughs> unless right. you pull this story and retract it because you're doing damage to our brand. Well, And so... To, so if, for instance, the inertia is going to be our news outlet, then they can't accept any advertising dollars, so they have to be subscriber-based, and there's simply not going to happen. Yeah, and I don't think they're necessarily trying to be that. That's not in their I'm mission not statement. And I'm it, not either. And their, I mean, their user-submitted content is the way that they run. Yeah, they're just like Huffington Post. I mean, I can submit a story right it, now. You can, anybody can. Right, but even... If you're going to the HuffPo to get your news article... Did you just say HuffPo? HuffPo. Is that, is that like vernacular that yeah, I didn't it's know a about? Thi- yeah, I didn't Huffington know. Post. HuffPo. HuffPo. I didn't but it, know that. If you're going to the HuffPo to get your news, you're all, it's, dude, you're getting 50% news from a super biased source and 50% entertainment. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the inertia, if that's their model, then they're already kind of pigeonholing themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, But I agree. I think that is their model. Yeah. Um, so I'm just saying... Who's it's, the news source? And how dude, there it, is none. Well, look, let's I, it's just, high time. How, how does it pay for itself? Like, see, like when you think about like Sports Illustrated, you're like, okay, that's a news source, perhaps, right? I would say it's an entertainment source more than news. Maybe, maybe. But I, it's hard to find a model that makes sense. Like, well, I guess what I'm saying is how are they going to make money? My question to you is let's just say... Course. Like Sports Illustrated can do an in-depth expose on a football player that's a drug addict. You know why? Because... The team that he plays for isn't buying advertising, right. and and if Nike is, they don't want anything to do with the guy anyway. They've sort of a lot of sports have evolved to a place where they can make those reporting, they can do that reporting. But as you know, and as you've mentioned here, our entertainment vehicles, Surfer Magazine, Surfing, all of them, even you and I, yeah. to some regard, are 
um, dampened a little bit by the world that we live in, the surf world, the surf culture that we live in. You know, there's certain people that you and I can't talk about because why would, what good does it do you and I to talk about certain people that are just a negative uh, on the lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't do, we don't, there's no, it's a lose-lose. It is. I, but I bring it up for that reason specifically is that we're seeing this problem bubble up now where things, the way that the industry is structured by being funded by the five main surf brands is starting to have problems. It's had problems in the ASP with judging criteria. It's now having problems in the way that news is delivered. So I think that if the sport's going to grow, maybe, dude, maybe, honestly, maybe podcasting is the form, the form, the platform to say the truth because we're not beholden to advertisers no, you know we're what broke. i mean <laughs> we're completely yeah. broke it's not even a business podcasting isn't a business you no, know right. so no well you're right and that brings up the whole like surf media 2.0 thing with a lot of the crazy blogs like the one that um that um is samuel lewis is it or lewis, lewis, samuels. lewis samuels put out and that one was scathing and it got rave reviews because he you know although he opined almost you know too radically but anyway that those podcasts, those blogs that you mentioned, that 2.0 media is sort of the place. Like if you go onto Surfer Magazine's forum, yeah, their message board, you're going to find out a lot more real information than you would find out on surfermagazine.com. I'm marginally engaged in Twitter and Twitter has some great trolls, you know, guys who are anonymous. Um, they don't use their real name, but they put out real information, whether it's guys who are having who have drug addiction or billabongs, you know, financial straits that they're in, they put out real information. And I like that. And I get my news from that. Who's, partially. who's one of those Twitter sources that you like? Um, not Dane Reynolds is really good. Not Dane Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. That guy's funny. He, oh, he's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Um, there's a lot of them, but so the, the problem with them though, is that they're so sensational, sensationalistic or sensationalized yeah they're doing it just to you know, um, know get a, people's goat yeah it's a little yeah i know it's just not quite there you know what i mean it's well there's little, there's no it's kind of it's kind of mean-spirited to uh to an to a level of insecurity it, almost it is and there's also no vetting process so right. they're they're allowed to just say whatever they want to say and report it as fact right traditional news sources you know they're you got to check your facts and so I think that we need to find somebody who's in between the Twitter trolls or the forums that exist, but also in between the editorial magazines that it's not their job to report the news. Those people are you and I, my friend. David Lee Scale, Scott Bass, we will be your eyes on the street. Dude, well, <laughs> I've... What do you know that nobody else is reporting? That the can... thing is, I, I'm not sure I want to be that guy either. Yeah. I think that it's cool, if, it's cool if we kind of touch on things, yeah. but... I certainly have relationships in the industry that would be jeopardized. Yeah, and, I know. And I don't mean financially jeopardized. I just mean they're friendships, and I don't want to betray anybody's trust. Yeah, let's just do what we're doing here and let for the now. other people be the bad guy. But, but I want it. I want a news source. And if Woodward and Bernstein, where are you? <laughs> if anybody's out there. <laughs> dude, I'll, Maybe it's CNN. Maybe that's what their job. You know, maybe surfing's gotten to that point that when something scandalous happens, CNN will handle it. Yeah. I don't know. I had a meeting with Zach from the Inertia a week or two ago, and I mentioned to him that that's a wide open niche, surf news, yeah. and that they're kind of in a position to be that if they want to be that. Yeah. And um, well, you know, Zach got more or less let go because he was he was pretty um, 
you know, he wrote some stuff about Mick Fanning and his anti-Semitic rant that Fanning had, I think, on Stab a couple, three, five years ago or something. He wrote something about Chaz Smith? Or he said something about Chaz Smith, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Fanning did, yeah. Fanning. I don't even remember how it all went down. I just know that Zach more or less lost his job. And I'll, I'll let Zach speak to it if he wants, because I don't want to misrepresent how it went down. I think but, I could give a breakdown. But there was a, there was, I know that there was an issue with, with him and what he wrote about Mick Fanning. And the people at Rip Curl probably called the people at Surfer Magazine and said, hey, what's your guy doing here? That's, no, so, that's not why we buy advertising space so your guy can rip Mick Fanning. Here's my understanding of the situation is that um, Mick Fanning didn't like some of the things that Chaz Smith, who's now the editor-in-chief of Surfing Magazine, had said about him. Chaz, Chaz Charles Smith had said, Fanning surfing is boring, essentially. It's mechanical. And... Um, Fanning didn't like that, so I guess they were on the North Shore, and Fanning saw him face-to-face and called him a Jew. I don't know if he said a something Jew, but that was the the slur that he used. Is Jew a slur? Is he Jewish? I don't know, but that's what was said. And so Chaz Smith, I think... I guess it depends your tone, right, when you say, hey, you're a Jew. I guess. To me, I mean, it's not offensive to me, but then again, I'm not not Jewish, Jewish, right? right. So I guess Chaz Smith... No, it's fine. Chaz Smith... Um, reported that story, and then there was some backlash. So Zach Weisberg, I think is his yeah, name, yeah. he was online editor at Surfer at the time. Yeah, and Zach is Jewish. And Zach is Jewish, and Sean Thompson is Jewish. So I think Sean had said some things, and then Zach wrote an article, basically, about the interaction between Chaz Smith and Mick Fanning. And there was a lot of comments in the comments section and a big to-do about it. Yeah. World champ using anti-Semitic remarks, should he apologize or whatever. And Fanning did apologize and retracted his statement and said that it wasn't meant the way that it came out or whatever. Well, uh, Zach wrote the article and stood by his article. Surfer Magazine asked Zach to remove the article. Zach said, I don't want to remove the article. And you're right, Zach was eventually let go from his position at Surfer Magazine, and Surfer Magazine did eventually take down the article after it being up for two or three days. Zach, in response to losing his job at Surfer, started a website called TheInertia.com, which is, um, you know, it reports, it kind of is a news source. HuffPo. It kind of, yeah, but it's a user, <laughs> HuffPo.com. It's, um, it's the surfing HuffPo. It is in that it's user-submitted content. So yeah. they, they produce in-house content a little bit, but probably 95% of the content is user-submitted. But the users are Kelly Slater. Well, I was going to say, Zach's done a great job of um, sort of, you know, some coups, if you will, getting Kelly to, to submit stuff. I mean, he's, he's got some great people submitting he does. articles. Yeah, he does. Um, so you guys should check out theinertia.com if you haven't already. They, they do have some news stories on there, but... It's all good stuff. Yeah, so... All right, well, look. Um, best song ever? Should we go there? I don't know. Is that what we got? Oh, dude, let's do One World Rankings. Are okay. you in a rush? Um, no, but I do need to get going pretty soon. I gotta unload that truck. Okay, come on. One World Rankings. Here. <laughs> you're like... You texted me. You're like, I hope you got a lot to this time because we got a big show. I'm driving an hour and a half to San Diego, dude. We okay. gotta... We gotta... All right, it's give it our, Gotta give it our all. All right. Um, one World Rankings, right now, there's a little bit of a shakeup with who could be on the tour and who will no longer be on the tour for 2014. Yeah. Um, it'll, it will change with Hawaii. There's three events in Hawaii. 
two QS events and one CT event. Have you watched event. any of the HIC event at Sunset? Yeah, I have. I watched a bunch of it yesterday, and I was so uninspired by the surfing. Round of 96, guys could have pulled into little tubes, and they were going around it and falling, and you can just tell that Sonny Garcia sort of said it in a press release. They, they don't. A lot of these young pros do not know how to surf Sunset Beach. Or, any, or, or in, anywhere in Hawaii. They got the matter. wrong boards, too. Well, dude, you show up, it takes you time to get used to Hawaii. And, and as a, as a, to surf Hawaii, but as a viewer, it always takes me time to get used to watching Hawaii events as well, that type of surfing. Maybe round of 96, just, just I, a bunch of lame 20 year olds on thin boards. I completely agree with you, but, um, anyway, I get, go ahead. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So potential new names, these guys are in contention to qualify right now. If the tour ended right now, new names on these tour, are new next names year, on 2014. What are they? Mark Lacomere. Which is, an, <laughs> which is a name that seared into everybody's brain after the France event. <laughs> a name who I'm proud to see because you made fun of me for putting him on my fantasy team at Trestles, Mitch Cruz. Who? Yeah, no, that's no, what you he, said the first he, time. No, he's an upset guy, especially he's done some major stuff at Chopu and at Tabarilla. He's, he's an upset I don't goof. think he has. A, a goofy foot, isn't he? No, Mitch Cruz is a regular footer from Snapper. Who's the goofy foot that, that's... Oh, oh, Colburn, Mitch Colburn. That's who I'm thinking of. That's my next the name, Vulcan actually. The guy. Yeah, Mitch Colburn is yeah. is on there to qualify. That guy's dangerous. Uh, big lefts. Jadson Andre oh, is back. Oh, God. He's back. <laughs> this is that's a great example why I want an elite tour of just the top ten. Yeah. Do I really need to see Jadson Andre in another heat? I think he's rounded out his game a lot more than what we were used to seeing. The one trick pony. In the By past. the way, I'm not saying Jadson's a, a, not a nice person. Whatever. I'm just saying I'm not overly enthused to watch a heat with Jadson Andre. Of course. And then no offense. Just and saying, then I'm a fan. I want to see you know the top ten. Another name, Eretz Aaron Buru. So he's back. I think he was on the CT for a year or two in the day. We'll see. Um, guys, he, he charges hard, and I'm sure Jadson does too. I, I've seen a Ritz in some recent footage, and um, he's sort of a tube monger. He, he, that guy likes the barrel. He's from Spain, and so he's gotten some really sick footage at Mundaka. But yeah, that's I saw, all I've I saw seen. Some, yeah, he's done some stuff in mainland Mexico. So out of those names, spot I won't name. Out of those names, the only guys I really care about watching are Mitch Cruz and uh, Mitch Colburn. Yeah, I'm not sure I care about watching any of them. You know, it's, it's, you know, to me, it's like, I want to see hot new young blood. Yeah. You know, has anybody, all those guys been on tour? I know Mark Lacamoire has been at some events. Yeah, I don't think he's been on the CT. Yeah. So here's some names that aren't in position, but could be after Hawaii. Who's a young gun that should be on tour that's not? Well, here's some names that might be. All right. Actually, they're, they're in contention to make. They're in kind of the 30 to 45 spot on the One World Rankings. So if they do well in Hawaii, they could qualify. By the way, I'd rather see Damien Hobgood than any of those guys you just mentioned. Yeah, me Go too, ahead. probably. So um, Carlos Munoz could make it. He's from Costa Rica. I mentioned his name earlier. All right. He does huge airs. He rips and he charges. He got two tens at pipe, like I said last Sounds year. Sounds like you. Tanner G. I would love to see Tanner Godowskis. Tanner G's in the 42nd spot. I'd love to see him. Connor Coffin is Love in the 36th spot. Coffin. Now I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Granger Larson is one spot out. And he's a guy who he's could do well in Hawaii. He's sort of a Dusty Payne, Sebastian Zietz type yeah. guy. Good point. He really is. I like him a lot. So he could push through. Um, guys who are on the CT now, who looks like they'll be losing their spot unless they do well in Hawaii. Miguel Pupo, Dusty Payne, 
Rayoni Montiero, Glenn Hall, Kieran Perot, Tiago Perez, Hator Alves, Damian Hobgood, Yaden Nickel, and Owen Wright, who will probably get the injury wild card. How many injury wild cards are there? There's like five injured people. Well, there's only one wild card. So it's going to be but Owen Wright. Th- but right. there's five guys who are injured, probably. Yeah, so, that's yeah. what I mean. There's only there's five guys that are injured that are going to vie for that one Correct. spot. I think Owen, Owen Wright will get that. I think Owen Wright will he get He deserves it. that. I'm disappointed to see Miguel Pupo, to see Damian Hobgood gone. Um, I think those other names, whatever, you know. But again, this is all subject to Hawaii. Right. If they push through events at the C- the QS, you know, and then make some pipeline events then they'll or heats, then they'll be fine. Um, By the way, the the broadcast, the webcast, starting with Holly even going to Sunset, they would do themselves, um, you know, a favor by really kind of excavating the stuff that you just did and letting the listeners know exactly who's in what position and, and really do some graphics to let us know, because these are great stories that need to be um, more pronounced. I agree. I saw Sippo at the beach this morning, Huntington. Brett Simpson. Is he going to Brett qualify? Simpson. Well, that's the, I asked him straight out. I'm like, because on the CT ratings, he's in 32nd, which is the last, oh no, I'm sorry, 22nd. Right. Which is the last qualifying spot, but he's never done he's well. At, and he's never done well at pipe, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so I, I asked him, but on the, he's made some heats in the QS. So on the one world ranking, with those additional points, it bumps him up to 26th position, which is pretty right safe. Now. Yeah, oh, right now. Okay, yeah. Which is pretty safe. So he's going to go to Hawaii in two he weeks. He needs a couple of results. He's pretty safe. Moderate results in Hawaii. But he's going to go ahead and compete in Both. Holly Eva and Sunset, yeah. try to secure his position. Yeah. He said right now he's in a better position than he was last year at this time. Okay, yeah. So I think he'll be okay. Unless something crazy happens, he'll be yeah. okay. So, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, that certainly, to your point, it makes it more interesting. I don't know why they don't ex- excavate those I'm stories. bummed that Damian Hopgood's not on tour next well, year. Well, he can make heats in Hawaii. He can. Where is he on the qualifying? Uh, Damian Hopgood. Does he Hobgood. need to, some major results to qualify? He's. I only have up to the top oh, well, 45, he's in, he's and he's not even place. in the top 45 on the one uh-huh. world. So it's not looking good. That's too bad. Yeah. Pat G. Jay Bottle Thompson. Do we really need to see Jay Bottle Thompson? No. His he's fans. I'm he's, sure he's a great guy. I know he's a big, tall, lanky goop. He's in 39th on the One World Rankings. Pat Gadowskis is in 38th, so he looks like he won't qualify unless he does really well in Hawaii. Um, so, interesting. Again, this will all get shaken up, and we'll retouch we'll touch like on it. I'd like to see it. Tanner Gadowskis get on tour. If not this year, maybe next year. So, we'll touch on this again after Holly Eva and after Sunset. Yeah. Um, best song ever? Best song ever. So, I realize... I played this game wrong last week. I guess so. You chose a kink song or something? Well, dude. Ray Davies? No, that is a, the best song ever. But <laughs> but what I realized in playing this game is you got to come out of the gates with a big song that will, uh, I don't know, like a big rock song or something that like shakes the windows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I went with a soft spoken song that, I don't know, I don't think it was my best lead in. That should have been, been a week three choice. So... Um, you went first last time. Should go I ahead. go first yeah, this no, time? You go. You go. All right. What I'm going to do this week, a little bit more energy, but I'm going to go with something probably most people haven't heard of. My goal is to introduce people to a new song. But there's reference. It's the best song ever. 
The best song ever that you haven't heard. Pe- this segment's called the best song ever. It's best not song ever that you haven't introduce heard. Introduce people to a new song. Best song ever that you haven't heard, but it's by a guy who you've heard of. So his name is Stone Gossard. He plays with Pearl Jam. He's been with Pearl Jam since day one. He's one of the founding members. Yeah. But he's also had a side project since 1994, based out of Seattle, called Brad. And he's Brad has been um, together the entire time. But he doesn't get a lot get to spend a lot of time with them because of Pearl Jam's obligations, obviously. So last year, Brad released a new album, and this is from that album. It's called Bound in Time. All right, let's hear it. You got some volume? Let's start it over since the volume was down. Okay, go ahead. All right. Sounds like Barry White singing. Sexy voice, right? (laughs) Singing like meaningful songs. So, um, poetic lyrics. Got some multiple instruments. Got some piano in there, which is always nice. And then also interesting vocals, you know? And they have different vocalists on different tracks. But you're right, this guy's got a little bit of a deep, velvety tone. So... New band for you all, Brad. Brad. Stone, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. Stone Gossard. And this track is called Bound in Time. Bound in Time. Okay, here's the best song ever. All right, I'm going on pause. This is one of the best songs ever. Love this song. Classic. Little praise song to praise. All the higher power. This song is an uplifting tune. Such a classic. All right, George Harrison. So that's in keep my it, opinion, just the pot best. it down, dude. But keep it going. That's the best song ever. Um. It's certainly on my greatest hits, for sure. And arguably, George Harrison's best contribution to music. I, I'm not going to argue with you. I, you know I mean, what? I Good mean, stuff. Yeah, it was post-Beatles, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean... Um, George Harrison. Yeah, it's a great song. The greatest Beatle? By, uh, definitely not. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go... Okay, so who's your Beatle? I, I think George. I mean, you, you really. I mean, you, look, John you Lennon's George? the guy. Oh, okay. But 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 I have an affinity to George Harrison. What about best Beatle post Beatles? Best Beatle post Beatles would probably be George Harrison. Really? Yeah. I'll take Paul. That's a good one. It's have you listened me. to any of Paul McCartney's um, interviews on Howard Stern lately? No. no. You Are, listen to Howard Stern? Not really. No. Yeah. Are they good? Yeah. You know, Howard does a great interview. Yeah, he is. You can get through all the sex crap. He does a good interview once in a while. Yeah, yeah. All right. Awesome. Good choice, dude. Great show. What are we missing? Closing thoughts? Fantasy team, but we can touch on that next time. Yeah, I haven't even gone there yet. We've got time to figure that out. Okay. That next time. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Thanks for listening, right? Yeah, down the line, Surf Talk Radio, downthelineradio.com. And then David posts this podcast on his website, which is surfsplendorpodcast.com. But you could also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, and then on social media, just at Surf Splendor. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. For my podcast, all you have to do is go to iTunes. Okay, is that the only <laughs> place it is? No. Oh. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can get it on iTunes or you can get it on downthelineradio.com. There you go. Okay, and um, you can shoot us an email, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. And David's email, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right, until next week, adios and aloha. And there you have it. That's today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in yet again. Please remember to share this show with a friend. And, uh, and you know where to find us on social media, at Surf Splendor, or on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And we'll be back next week with an all-new episode. So thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.